Good morning, Christ the King Church. My name is Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, Grant asked if I could talk about money, which is a little awkward because uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna. You guys are my paycheck here. When I practiced uh, my messages, I, str- I I sat my kids down. My whole family I said, "You sit down." I said, "You listen to what I have to say," and then I said, "Give me some feedback." My kids all said, you got to tell them a little bit about yourself, Dad. So here's what you need to know about, uh, about me. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 17 years. She is, that's a good start, almost halfway. Um, she, so I, I get a microphone from time to time, and I have a little bit of a personality in the church. And, and so people can often think, oh, that poor woman. And here's what I want to say to you. I assure you, she is fine. She handles me just fine. Like the other day, I'm on our couch snuggling with our little snuggle doodle, our dog, and I just yell, Scout has some gray in her beard. And then from the other room, I just hear her say, you're one to talk. Man, that shot's fired. I was, um, I'm also like very colorblind. And so whenever, whenever I say that to people, they say, well, what colors can't you see? I'm like, like, I don't know if you just heard me. I don't know, and I don't care. So uh, my kids now dress me because I think I'd like to think it's so that I don't embarrass me, but I think it's we're at a point now so it's I don't embarrass them. We're at that stage in our family's life. So I was dressing up. I was coming to teach uh, one evening. And then I asked my wife, how do I look? And she says, you look happily married. (laughs) And then I walk out feeling really good because I think I am. And then it wasn't until I was driving to work that I thought, wait a minute. I don't think that's the compliment that I took it for. (laughs) Like, you've kind of given up a little bit. You. So this morning we're going to talk about money. And one of the things you need to know about my home is my wife and I approach finances pretty differently. Uh, One of the main reasons why is because uh, we have different family cultural backgrounds, specifically with money. So my wife grew up upper middle class where she had horses and ponies and they had property and goats and she would muck stalls and they would go to their beach cabin on the, during the summers and they would eat their fill of Dungeness crab. One of my favorite things in the world to watch is my wife clean and eat a Dungeness crab. It, she is, like, I get a little afraid when I see it too. She knows what she's doing. But I grew up in a very different um, culture. I grew up in poverty. My family was poor, but not poor like we don't have a place to stay kind of poor, but a poor where there was a constant stress and tension in the home. Like, there was, there, was no, there was no extra. There was nothing extra. I remember um, sitting at home, the phone would ring in the afternoon, and for those of you too young in the room to know that the house used to have a phone, not just in your pocket, but um, in your home, and you wouldn't know who was calling. Right? It was, just, it was just, man, this is exciting. Who's this going to be? Well, when, they, when the phone would ring in the afternoons, we were told not to answer the phone because this is going to be a creditor. And 
that was going to be a hard conversation. I remember when the blue checkbook would come out, that it was time to go play outside because there was going to be some tension in the home and maybe some tears. So we grew up with these different backgrounds, but we didn't really appreciate or understand the difference in our financial background until we got married. And here's how it presented for me. My wife is the CFO of the home. She's very detail-oriented. She's really good at it. And every two weeks, she would send me a text that would say, we're broke until payday. And for me, my heart would sink. Like, I know, I know what this means, right? This is going to be really hard. But it's okay. We can do this. Potatoes, beans, and rice can be delicious, right? I can walk to work. We live pretty close. Like, we can, we can figure this out. But every two weeks, she would send me this text message, and I'm embarrassed now to say how long it took me to pick, pick up on this, but I noticed that I was feeling a lot of stress, but my wife wasn't. She wasn't feeling stress around that at all. And it started to dawn on me that there's a difference between Ryan broke and Nicole broke. Let me tell you what Ryan broke means. Ryan broke means there's people that are mad at us, right? That there are some unpaid bills. There is no food. There is no gas. Payday is so far away, I'm not sure one of us is going to make it. One of us might even go to jail. Like, that's Ryan Broke. Ryan Broke is not good. And I came to understand that Nicole Broke is very different. I would even say Nicole Broke is even awesome. <laughs> Nicole Broke is okay. Nicole Broke is, no, there's meat in the freezer. There's food in the pantry. Bills get paid as soon as they come in, you silly goose. Like, what other way to live is there? And there's even, there's even some savings if we really need it, which we don't. I find out that we don't ever need to use the savings, but it's there if we really, really need it. There's a difference between Ryan broke and Nicole broke, right? And there's a difference between how my family culture approached finances and the way that her family co uh, approached finances. And those become more clear as families merge. And so the question that I have for you this morning that I want to explore it is what is the money culture of the family of God? As we merge into this brand new family, what is the family culture of money in the family of God? Now this is, turns out, a really important topic in the Bible. The Bible talks so much about finances, and this has been a part of my story. Um, I've been uh, able to participate in financial classes here and help facilitate those, not just because I need them, but uh, because I've had such a story, and I understand uh, to, to varying degrees. I know what it's like to live in poverty. I know what it's like to live in uh, middle class. I hope to find out what it means to live in upper class. Still working on that one, but, but I, I have appreciation for it. But there is, the Bible has so much to say, specifically Jesus. This is one of Jesus's favorite topics by volume. If you were just going to do a word count, what were the topics that Jesus liked to talk about the most? It's money. He talks about money more than he does heaven and hell combined. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Let me just read some financial words that we use in our spirituality all the time, and you might not even realize it. Words like debt, forgiveness, redemption, Trust, 
Reconciliation, which means bringing two things together, reconciling the books. Accountability, meaning giving an account. Steward and reward. These all come from the financial industry, right? These are important aspects to our faith. So this morning, I want to talk about two ways that the economy of the cross has impacted Ryan's finances. Two ways the economy of the cross has impacted Ryan's finances. Again, because we are going through the sermon series, we're a cross-centered life. What does it mean to approach our finances through the central Christian image and representation? What does that actually mean? What did Jesus have in mind for us? And the two main ways, I'm just going to spoiler alert right away, are through forgiveness and through trust. Forgiveness and through trust. These are two ways the economy of the cross has impacted my finances. Now, I'm going to talk about forgiveness for just a little bit. I'm, we're going to spend most of our time talking about trust. Doing that because most uh, sermons that you're going to hear on the cross, you're going to hear a lot about forgiveness. But there is also another aspect of it. But the term and the concept of forgiveness comes from the financial industry. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration. So my friend Josh, right here, front row. This is what you get for sitting in the front row. Say I go up to my friend Josh, and I say, Hey, Josh, can I borrow $100,000? I have this opportunity that I really would like to capitalize on. And Josh says, as anyone would, Ryan, you're an awesome guy. I trust you. Absolutely. I'm going to loan you this, Josh, you're awesome. I'm going to loan you this $100,000. But soon after, I say, hey, Josh, I have a problem. And I can't actually pay you back the way that, the way that we agreed upon. Right? I'm now, in, I'm already indebted to Josh. But now there's a problem. Now, historically, Josh has a few different options here. One, historically, is he can throw me in debtor's jail. Right? Debtor's jail is where you go to prison until you can pay it back. Guess how well that works out? You're never going to pay it back. That is true with our spirituality as well. You are never, ever going to be able to pay this back. Ever. I could also become his slave. Josh, has, Josh is in construction. He's seen me on a job site. He is not interested in bringing me onto one of his job sites. Right, so for, to, prison, to prison, Ryan goes. Josh also has another option, and that is forgiveness. Right, where he can assume the loss himself. Every time there is forgiveness, it's because someone has accepted the loss. I'm going to read that again. Every time there is forgiveness, it is because someone accepted the loss. That is the cross. Someone accepted the loss on your behalf. Was it no big deal? Nope, it was a big deal. Does he say, no problem, guys, I got this one? Nope, he says, this cost me everything. But we're square. I'm going to assume the loss myself. So that is forgiveness, right? And it comes from the financial industry. 
The other aspect that's really impacted my finances is with trust. And the parable that has impacted how I view finances and stewardship, really my faith, is found in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the talents. Some parables, some translations say the Bible or the, uh, the parable of the bags of gold. But the Greek word is talent. And talent is different. I'm going to soften my talent. Talent in Greek is different than talent in English, right? So, like, if I could juggle, right, that's a neat talent. That is not what the Bible is talking about. A talent in the Bible is worth 20 years' worth of salary. So we are talking about big sums of money here. But the translation that I'm going to read says bags of gold. That's just where I go. So if I end up slipping and saying talent, you'll know where that comes from. So Matthew chapter 25. Jesus says this, again, it will be like, so what does again mean? Jesus, in this portion of Matthew, is reasserting himself as Messiah and King. He's saying, nope, I'm the guy you're looking for. I am the guy you're looking for, and this is what it will be like in my kingdom. This is how we will behave. Again, my kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So this story already has tension, right? Imagine that you're lined up, and then you see your supervisor give out over $6 million dollars. And then you're next. And then he only gives you like $2.5 million. What's going on here? And then to the next person, only $1.2 million. So as an illustration, I thought about doing this. I thought about lining up my kids and scooping out five scoops of ice cream for one of them. And then for the next one, two scoops of ice cream. And then for the next person, one scoop. And then I, just to be like Jesus, I'm going to say, so I'm going to go on this long journey. So you guys, you guys can sort this out, right? If I were to do that in my home, my wife would say, you better take your time then coming back. Because this is going to be, there's going to be some fighting. But it is no mistake of Jesus to point out that there is inequality already. And he makes no apology for it. Three servants were not equally able but they were equally valuable. It appears that the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, equality is not a primary value. Now, I want to point out that amongst spiritual leaders throughout the ages, Jesus is distinct in so many ways. One of them is that the poor, the weak, the ill, the oppressed were around Jesus. All the time, but so were the healthy, the powerful, and the wealthy. Jesus had a robust group of people around him, and he did not show favoritism. One servant was not more valuable than another. Let's continue. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. 
and gained five more bags. Man, that's awesome. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So this is a part of the Bible where I really wish it would have given a whole lot more information. How does one turn gold into more gold? Like, that'd be kind of nice to know, right? I think that's called alchemy. But uh, I don't, maybe that's not what Jesus was talking about. But the point in this verse is they went at once. They went with some urgency and some seriousness. They went at once and put their master's money to work. There's this, there's these scenes earlier on in Matthew where Jesus calls his first disciples. And it says, he says, come follow me. And they dropped their nets at once to follow him. And please understand what this meant for a fisherman. They were giving up their livelihood, their ability, their inheritance, their skill, their training. They gave up everything to follow him. And they trusted him with everything. Jesus continues, But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought in the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Just a few things. All this money is just a few things to him. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, join in your master's happiness. Come here, let's continue to do life together. The man with two bags of gold came and he said, Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. Now, I do want to point out that this servant brought back less than half of what the previous servant did. Right? Two is different than five. This is simple math. Two is different than five. But listen to what the master says. His master replies with the exact same language. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. This is incredible. This is incredible. Each is assessed and and evaluated based on their own faithfulness and ability. Right? So the master gave according to to their ability. Now this is so important because for several reasons. Five bags of gold given to a person with a capacity of only two bags, that feels oppressive. Right? If you have five bags of responsibility, but only five, two bags of ability to meet those requirements, that feels like an unbearable weight. That is not kindness. Do you know that people who win the lottery, 80% of the people who win the lottery file for bankruptcy within three years? Right? It, and, and they end up divorcing very often. This is oppressive. This is not an actual gift to them. It ends up ruining lives. 
right? They don't have the character, the infrastructure, the training in order to handle wealth. This, fee, this is too much. This is too much of a burden for them. But each is assessed and evaluated based on their own ability. And this isn't the only story that Jesus gets to our sense of equality, right? If somebody gets the same commendation for, for bringing in half the results, part of me doesn't like that, right? That's not fair. And fairness in the kingdom of God is very different than our sense of fairness. He assures us, though, that even though it is not equal, there is abundance. There is enough. We still get ice cream, right? Whether you have one, three, or five, ice cream is awesome. We get to enjoy ice cream. Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. That's a tough way to start a meeting, especially with your boss. Imagine sitting down with your boss and saying, so since, you know, you're a jerk, right? You know how you're a jerk and that you're mean and that you have unfair business practices and nobody likes you? That's how this meeting starts. And, and then he starts to criticize his success and his business practices. Hints of who do you think you are with all this wealth? Who do you think you are distributing this as, as you will? Plus, I want to point out this that there is no evidence in this parable at all to substantiate this servant's accusations. Here's what we know of the master so far, that he is wildly generous, that he's very wealthy, and that he's very generous with his wealth. Very generous. We also know that he's relational, right? That he knows his servant's ability, and he is challenging them according to their ability, right? He knows them. We also know that he's nice and kind and happy. Come, share in your master's happiness, right? All the evidence to the contrary of this servant's accusations. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. The master doesn't buy it. You weren't afraid. You were lazy and you were wicked. If you were afraid, you could have come talk to me. You could have talked to those other associates who seem to be doing pretty well. If you had no idea what to do with my $1.2 million, but you see other people crushing it, go talk to them. Go talk to them. But no. You sat on it. The real sin in this parable is not doing anything with what we've been given. So take the bag of gold away from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. He gets to keep it. Do you see that? He gets to keep it. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's when I read stories like this and understand their context a little bit better that I understand why people wanted to kill Jesus. This is offensive. How dare you command that kind of power over us? Theologian John Barclay, who has done a lot of work on the term and the concept of grace, particularly what it meant to the original followers of Jesus. And he says this, grace is given without condition. It's given for free, but it is also given with the expectation of return. Grace is meant to have a multiplicative impact or you don't get it. The only real way to know if the gift was received is if there are results. That is the only way. The wicked servant didn't really know his master or reflect him in how he managed his master's stuff. A couple more points on this and then I'm going to move on. Now, again, I grew up in poverty where we didn't really have much, but we had, we had enough, and we had what really matters. And so I understand that in a room this size, and then, you know, in the online audience, that there are different degrees um, of, of, of affluence here that are listening to this. So here's what I want to say. If you have a lot... If God has given you a lot and you've done well by skill and by opportunity, you don't need to apologize for that. You don't need to apologize. Right? There are parts of our society that want to shame wealth. That is not the posture that Jesus takes here. He does want to remind you that you have a little bit more responsibility, though. Maybe a lot more responsibility. So you have to use what has been given to you very well, very well. And to those in the room where, you know, if the bills are here and we're meeting here, that's a tough spot to be. But there is still opportunity for gratitude and thanksgiving, right? You still have some ice cream. And I don't, it, it doesn't just have to be wealth, right? Strong relationships, uh, meaningful work, like what you have is of great value. So at this point in the message, I'm going to do something that might be really stupid, but I don't get to be up here very often, so we're going to see how this goes. I'm going to ask for a volunteer. Is there a high school student in here whose parent is also in the room? Go ahead and raise your hand. A high school student whose parent is also in the room. So where's your, where's your mom or dad? Okay. Do you want to volunteer? Yeah, you do. Get up here. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mom, you can t just take a seat. I'll talk to you. In, well, we will connect, but here's what I want to... Go, go ahead and come up. I do want to say this. Parents, you have total veto power with what I'm, what I'm about to do, but we can have that conversation without a microphone if we need to. Okay? Okay, great. What's your name? I'm Abby. Abby, thank you. Can we hear it for Abby? Okay, this is not a trick. This is actually real, okay? 
What is this? Money. This is a $100 bill. Abby, whose money is this? Yours. This is my $100 bill. Abby, I'm going to give you this $100 bill, and I need you to know that that actually cost me. Right? I'm now $100 lighter. Right? But here's what I'm going to offer you. I would like for you to spend that money in a way that's right to you and your gifts, but I'd like for you to make an impact. Right? And we can be creative. You can figure this out however you need to. But I'd like for you to make an impact, and I'd like for you to just represent me well. You don't have to mention my name. Actually, please don't. People are going to want more, <laughs> and there is no more. <laughs> Abby, do you want to do this? I do. Great. Go ahead and take a seat. So in my, my family budget, I'm um, allotted, you know, a little, a little bit of money each, each payday. That took me, Ryan, a little while to save up for. That's, uh, that used to be Ethereum. It is now cash. That's a cryptocurrency that's now in Abby's pocket. But here's, again, what I would like for Abby to do. I'd like to become business partners with you, right? And this can be done in any number of ways, right? You can just give it away anonymously to an organization. You can um, pay attention for need in your school. You can take people out for coffee and just listen to their story. But some way of, of being meaningful and intentional and making an impact, right? So I have a question for the rest of the audience. Who in this room is experiencing envy right now? <laughs> Go ahead and raise your, I am, right? That's real. That envy is real. But I don't want to miss this too, that I've actually placed responsibility on Abby. Right? She is now carrying more responsibility than she did a few minutes ago. This is the invitation that Jesus gives us. Right? You have been given so much, and he wants impact. He wants partnership with him and his agenda. So we'll touch base a little bit after, after the message. Okay, great. So let me ask you guys this. Great parable, Ryan story, cool, cool illustration there, but so what? Why does this actually matter to me? And let me go back to the two ways the economy of the cross has impacted Ryan's finances. So with both forgiveness and with trust. Here's what I want you to notice about that. Forgiveness and trust also has to do with time. Think about forgiveness and trust with time. Forgiveness is for the past. Trust is for the future. It's hope. Hope is for the future. Both of these happen at the cross. There is an exchange that happens at the cross that has to impact our finances. If it doesn't impact your finances, it has not impacted your heart. I would say it this way. There's a verse in the New Testament. It is perhaps the most useful verse, the most pragmatic verse I've read in the Bible. And it says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So we often read that as, if I love God more, then I'm going to give more. But that's not actually the leverage of the verse. Right? The verse suggests if I move my giving, my heart is going to follow. That is how I've used that verse. Where I found I don't, something significant is missing and I need to write a bigger check so that my heart is more invested. You guys, I tried so hard to not write a message on giving. I wanted this to not be about giving, but that is the most pragmatic counsel that I can give you, right? To the level of your ability. And I would say this, it should hurt a little bit. So I give automatically. Um, it's pulled for my paycheck. They don't make me do it that way, but it is, it is easiest. That'd be kind of funny, kind of sad, is if they just automatically withdrew it. But we can set, we can set it. And so, like I said, my wife uh, is the one who oversees our finances. So, but several times a year, I go back and I look at my statements. And I feel that money that I'm giving away. And I start to think of what other opportunities could I use with that money. I start to, I have to feel it. And then it just reminds me, nope, you believe and you trust in Jesus. And you are going to act like it. Right? And that has done major wonders for my heart. Let me say this. Something powerful happens when a group of people start to do this together. And I want to close with this. If you could just look around this room, look around this auditorium, look up at the lights are kind of blinding to me, but this is a beautiful room. These are awesome, very comfortable chairs. Who here was a part of a time to build at Christ the King some 20 years ago? Go ahead and raise your hand. I was going to estimate 20%, and we are below that. And here's the point that I want to make. For those of us who get to sit in these nice, cushy chairs and the nice uh, sound booths in the back, you guys are awesome back there. You guys make me look good, though it's really easy to do. Here's the point I want to make with that. Somebody invested in this space to make it super easy for us to hear about Jesus and for us to experience him. And that is my story. I started coming here when I was a broke college student. They were doing a time to build, and I saw people sacrificing, and it inspired me. And it inspired me. I asked our finance department uh, some questions. I said, what percentage of CTKers do you estimate give regularly? And they came back with a number of 55%. 55% of CTKers give regularly. So that's 10 times within the last 12 months. Once a month, um, 10 times in the last year. Now, I don't know what you think about that number. Um, part of me thinks, no, that's our mission, right? Our mission is to go reach people, to tell them the good news about Jesus. And so perhaps this part of your life isn't in alignment, and that's... That's actually why we're doing this, right? I would also say I'm excited for that large number who isn't giving because I don't, for me, like I love uh, our, our musical worshipers, but for me, the most meaningful way for me to connect with Jesus is to sacrificially give financially. It impacts my heart like nothing else I know of to give 
financially changes my heart. And when a group of people do this, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16. What happens when a group of people do this together? He says this, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul having to go make collections? Pardon me really wants to see that. He could be ornery. So he says, be ready. Get ready. Be ready. This is no surprise. Be ready. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction of the men you approve and send them your gift to Jerusalem. He's writing this to the Corinthian church. The takeaway here is that as a group of people, we are concerned with other groups of Jesus followers. Right? Other churches. And, and I added this. If, you, if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me, saying, here's the plan. We'll adjust if necessary. Right? That's what Paul's saying. Here's the plan. Be ready. If we have to make adjustments, we can do that too. But when a group of people who are going in the same direction and start giving sacrificially together, it's powerful. It's powerful, and it's inspiring. Something beautiful. God is doing something beautiful and unique, and I would even say powerful, in the city of Blaine. So the Blaine Church has been able to purchase a building. We're renovating it. They're going to probably have to move, have to, get to move to two services. It is, God's doing something in Blaine. And there's an opportunity for us to do the exact same thing that somebody's done for you. And you could go to ctk.church slash heart of Blaine. And you have the opportunity to pay it forward. So church, I want to leave you with this. If we were to do another offering call, if we were to have Grant out here, you know, Abby, do you know how you know that's my money instead of Grant's? Because it's American. I don't think he's in here. (laughs) But if we were to pass the buckets again, here's what I would not do. I would not give more. And I'm not kidding. Oh. Oh, no. We'll see who's preaching next service. That was awesome. How did the wicked servant approach his master? Never mind. If we were to pass the buckets again, Ryan and Nicole would not give extra because we would need to have a conversation. What is it that we are actually able to give? We're not the most spontaneous people, but we are thoughtful and we do go and we do carry through. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Ask Jesus, is my heart where you want it? Are my finances yielded to you? Are my finances funneled through the center of the cross? And the answer might be yes, people. Be open to the yes, okay? I am not shaming you. Shame is the voice of the enemy. 
he might say yes. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is for sin and for righteousness. He could say, no, my child, you are doing just fine. Right? Or he might not. He might challenge you. So I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to go have an awkward conversation as to whether or not your finances are yielded to Jesus. All right. Lord, I can't help but feel grateful being in this room where people have sacrificially given. Lord, I've met my wife here. I'm raising my kids here. My family is here. And I didn't start this. But I want to continue it. Lord, for the wealthy that are here and online that are listening. Lord, if there is something that you need to say to them, I pray for a soft heart. Lord, for those that are taking responsibility for what it is that you have given them, I am so grateful. For those that need a little kick in the pants, Holy Spirit, you are very good at that, and we trust you. Lord, for the poor that are listening, that need, that just need a reminder that you see them, that you're there. Lord, would you remind them of your care and your provision? Lord, give us a wink. Remind us of your nearness. Lord, bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a good day.